Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Hi. Hi, we're back. That was really enthusiastic. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's back from the dead. Trademark. Legitimate, authentic enthusiasm. Never at all faked. <laughs> Always 100% honest with our excitement. This is how I sound when I'm excited. Always. <laughs> Hashtag excited. <laughs> so you know it's real <laughs> you gotta add the hashtag <laughs> uh so all three of us here again we're not a streak knock on yeah. wood yeah yeah so we're, we're, we're on a streak before and then we had here. to come off david so i think oh, our streak lasted like Four episodes? IDF. I mean, as long as you don't do a double agent thing in the IDF or whatever you were doing, you know, <laughs> again. We'll find out fun. again. Yeah, the next freaking clip they have. They I don't know, though. I heard, me back. I heard that Hamas was proposing terms for peace. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't. Yeah, Netanyahu yeah. said that he okay. refuses any terms of peace. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the more important thing. I wouldn't really, you know, report whether Hamas negotiated or not, because then if it falls through, the media will always blame them. Them, yeah. You know, wait till they have an agreement. Yeah, in. But I, I fully believe they're trying for peace and have been. Yeah, and and I mean, well, Israel. It was already easy enough. Uh, and the occupation, not bombing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> but uh, um, when when we do. Get to the reading, guys. By the way, we're going to be on uh, part seven on slide 162, the art and science of politics. Um, before we get into the reading, though, um, until new new show show takes off, we do touch on current events that are necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not really takes up. We have to plan an episode that can keep up with the current events. And right mm-hmm. now, fucking decades keep happening in a week. And it's like, uh, and I think, I think the only one other than obviously the ongoing uh displacement and genocide of of peoples across places like Sudan and of course Palestine. Um, oh, Egypt threatened to end normal relations with Israel if Palestinians are forced to cross the Rafa. Mm-hmm. And and the Rafa is where they've been told to go, by checkpoint? the way. What's the proper name? What? The Rafa checkpoint? The Rafa crossing? Rafa yeah. crossing, that's the word. Except Egypt is not letting that happen. Well, right, yeah, and so they said. And also, we don't want that to happen because if that happens, that means they're never going to be allowed back in. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why uh, Egypt says if that happens, they're ending normal relations because that's going to fundamentally. Well, Egypt, Egypt understands. So all of the countries in that area understand that Israel is not just trying to take Palestine. Okay, that's that's genocidal. Trail of tears right now. Yeah. But with modern warfare. Yeah. And there's a full manifest destiny to it. There's a greater Israel they see and it stretches out like, you know, into Syria and um, down through the Sinai and and stuff like that. Right. Um, And so Egypt knows those Palestinians get displaced. Not only is that a a humanitarian atrocity and Israel gets more powerful, more what they, more what they want. And now they have to manage a displaced population that is not happy to be there, but Israel wants to keep going that way. And there's no longer like this Gaza buffer between them and and Israel, if that's the case. And so Israel is, is absolutely not going to go for this. Speaking of trail of tears. Did you <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you just use the trail of tears as a transition, friend? <laughs> yes. 
Did you see that uh, fucking Jackson Hickle Hinkle said that uh, supposed Native American genocide? The the supposed the Native American uh, disappearance is not the same as the uh, genocide that's happening in uh, <sighs> Israel right now. Well, like Jackson literally sells stolen Palestinian gold. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, dude. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, you. There's something fishy going on here, and we really, uh, we have way too many people going. Well, like Asha from historically was like, well, you know, I just think it's passionate fans of podcasts, and it's like, what? you, Asha's fucking Hindutva now, so like, fuck whatever she's saying. What? Yeah, you didn't see that? No. She, she like went on a whole rant about how like Kashmir is historically Hindu. Oh god. And and Modi is like r- correct for taking back Kashmir. And it's like what the fuck? <laughs> that's I mean that's some Tulsi shit. You know, I feel like yeah. there's no fucking cuz Jackson Hinkle's connected to Tulsi. You know, like I feel like there's some worms going on and Nobody's there, quite sure what's going on behind the scenes, but there is always people any, have seen how it's the fucking bread's made, you know. Like it's always it's always the people that are are pretty good at, at at reporting, and they're putting out reports that other people don't do enough, and that we need, and they seem they seem pretty good ideologically, and then all of a sudden, like they say some dumb shit, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and then it's like, what the fuck deep end did they go off? Yeah, this is like you're when, just like spouting Maori propaganda, or like Jackson yeah. Hinkle was straight up at a Netanyahu event to well, hang out with Jordan Peterson. Well, this is oh, like a, a Blumenthal going off the the you know anti-vax deep end shit, and like fucking. Well, yeah, and like Blumenthal's been friends with the Bushes for, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's the problem, though. Like, our baseline is like, do you support America? No. Okay, cool. No, that's not even true. That's not even our baseline. (laughs) The baseline's been subverted. I mean, from like like, the baseline for like listening to people talk on the internet. No, but that's the thing is people listen to Jackson Hinkle who support the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I get the continuation of the project. I get I get where they do it, too, because there was a point in time where that input was useful. You know, I ran into this with uh, uh, Vanessa Bealey was an excellent reporter doing reporting that other people weren't doing. Vanessa Bealey, who who? Uh, from what uh, she was, she was one of the reporters in in Syria, along with uh, Eva Bartlett that was doing the actual good reporting in Syria early on, like even even before like Rania Kalik and all them like kind of got on a little better analysis of it. And then she, you know, that that war started winding down and then she went off the fucking like like, you know, cancel culture mob fucking deep end type people and 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 settled in with Alex Jones type. It's like what the fuck yeah, happened classic, to your brain? A classic rift. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you had one good story yeah, <laughs> you the horse till it was dead, and then some. And yeah. now you're fucking stuck at the kids' table with Alex Jones, writing and raving about the yeah. fucking globalists, fucking kidnap, well, trying to take your kids and cat and shit. And he literally it, said that shit. Like, yeah, fuck. Jesus. But I mean, you fucking you see it with like Beely and then Blumenthal and now Esher and I just people just like fucking. I don't know. We can't. We can't have a brain zap like this. Well, know? it's like Jackson Hinkle's going on like Alex Jones, and I, I think it's an industry hookup. Actually, they both sell gold for the same gold sponsor. Yeah. So, and the it comes from formerly apartheid South Africa, 
and then Palestinian gold currently being stolen by Israel. And then Wait, this is like an actual gold yeah. company? The Birch Gold Group, the John Bircher I, Gold Group. I thought you were like making no, a joke this about is how real. he was just grifting. I didn't no, know he was like real. selling He's gold literally bars. selling Palestinian gold. He's <laughs> literally stealing gold and selling it, essentially. Like, it's fucked up. It's so fucked up. Yeah. Oh my god! And, and I mean, half the right wing's doing it. I uh, uh, Jimmy Dore just got on uh, Colonial Rare Metals or something oh, like yeah. that. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's a whole industry. Whenever the uh, economy's <laughs> tanking, that's when mm-hmm. they buy gold. Yeah, buy the, gold. Buy <laughs> grifters, gold. grifters got a grift. Don't grift, folks. We're revolutionaries. Doing it. <laughs> What's that? Costco Cost- selling gold bars now. Are they? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you my God. order them online. <laughs> uh, we didn't actually talk about current events. Yeah, we didn't but... actually talk about, about Christy Nome being banned. Um, but uh, that happened. Yeah, that happened. It was, was uh, banned off um, uh, the, you know, Oglala lands. Um, it's specifically Pine Ridge, which, of course, is where uh, uh, Shungmani 2 comes from. So when they say we, that's that's they're referring to um, uh, their res. Um, other than that, the only other current event I have is is what we said last week about, you know, Biden being aggressive towards Iran and that being a scary possible spy, uh, start of World War Three uh, isn't less true. But thankfully, that kind of like is. I don't know, cooled off a bit in the last week or stayed stagnant. At least it, it stopped escalating and it would seemed like it was in a position where it was rapidly escalating. So that's good. But who, who knows? It's only been a fucking week and the shit, shit takes time. Um, so with that, we'll get into the reading. Um, I'm actually here. I could even start. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to start? Do you want to go talk a little more about, uh, Christy Nome or do you want to jump into the reading? <laughs> oh yeah. No, uh, uh, Christine um, had a rally where she tried to stoke xenophobia and like um, <clears throat> use like drug cartels and stuff as um, excuse to expand the reach of like state troopers and stuff onto the reservation and stuff, which we already are working more with them to combat the um, kidnapping stuff, whether or not they're upholding their end of it. I don't know. And chances are there's probably some corruption going on. I would imagine there's probably cops involved. Um, that's nothing I have evidence for, but the um, thing, the thing you I know, always involved in kidnapping. What? <gasps> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, mm, well, not, then not to mention like border patrol is definitely involved. Like the cartels aren't real, you know, like they're a tool, a political tool. That's the result of CIA meddling and shit like that. So there's a lot more going on here than people realize and she's trying to utilize this fake border crisis that every year fucking the republicans will do this especially in an election year you know <laughs> i yeah i i still i still always go back to like when you're talking about people being kidnapped and going missing and cops and shit it's like think of how hard it would be to get away with a murder and then think about how high of a percentage of murders don't go convicted like <laughs> cops and, and cop delight people 
gotta be making that number as large as it is. Well, and, uh, you know, there was that one graveyard found, if that's any indication, I'd hate to know how many places that exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's 217 <laughs> unmarked graves. And that was the, um, the big scandal we just talked about a few weeks ago. And that's like it- if it was commonplace at a boarding schools everywhere, it should, I would imagine in the prison capital of the world, mm-hmm. similar. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who served in prison, like the cops beat the shit out of him, then covered, like knocked him out, you know, like beat the shit out of him, knocked him out, put him in this room. That's like under renovation. So like, there's no insulation, like this, the wings, like freezing cold in the middle of winter and shit. And then they put bags of ice on him and like try to freeze him to death and blame it on a exposure. Fucking crazy shit. <laughs> so anyway, fuckers, yeah. Anyway, let's read. <laughs> Fuck Christino. Anyway, these notes on the state and civil society and on the political party can be so- thought of as continuous with those in the preceding section. Gramsci's critique there of economism at the theoretical level is complemented by his critique here of its practical consequences. Rosa Luxemburg's conception of the mass strike and Trotsky's theory of the permanent revolution are, for Gramsci, forms of economistic political thinking. Trotsky's theory is also criticized as an abstract form of internationalism, insufficiently attentive to national conditions. Using military analogies, Gramsci says these approaches assume that on the level of political tactics, an economic crisis opens a breach in the enemy's ranks through which a successful political offensive can take place. What they both underestimate, Gramsci says, is the capacity of resistance to these frontal attacks in advanced industrial states and in the need for a work of preparation among the troops. In other words, the formation of a collective will among the people. In Russia in 1917, a frontal assault on the state was able to succeed because there the state was everything. Civil society was primordial and gelatinous. In the West, the state is only an outer ditch behind which is a sturdy civil society. Hence, in the West, there must be a transition from a war of movement to a war of position. These remarks of Granchi's developed positions he had taken before his arrest in August 1926. He had told the Central Committee, he had told a Central Committee meeting in advanced capitalist countries, in the advanced capitalist countries, the ruling class possesses organizational reserves, which it did not possess, for instance, in Russia. The state apparatus is far more resistant than is often possible to believe, and it succeeds in moments of crisis in organizing greater forces loyal to the regime than the depth of the crisis might lead one to suppose. Uh, these are in his prison note. Wait, SPW2? That's his prison house, right? Yeah, selective prison house. <laughs> yeah, yeah paid. The SPN that wasn't, and that was what threw us off. Okay, well, I was just like, I thought they said he said this before the Central Committee, but he probably just recollected it word for word and was like, yeah. yeah. So. Also, while we're stopping, I just got to say thank you, Gramsci, for giving us 
primordial gelatin now. So we've got primordial yeah. soup for biology and primordial gelatin for culture. Yeah, I'm about to rip that off. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> At the same time, his remarks in the prison notebooks had a precise contemporary reference. They were first drafted in late 1930 at the height of the common turn so-called third period, 1929 to 1934, which had launched the analysis of a terminal world crisis of capitalism and a tactic of frontal attack, parentheses, class against class, and parentheses. In 1930, the surviving PCDI leadership after a long deliberation, accepted this analysis and proceeded to expel three political bureau members who opposed it. Gramsci in prison came to know these developments and was highly critical of them. In Italy, fascism was never more entrenched, and the Communist Party was reduced to a membership of about 4,000. Moreover, his own diagnosis of Italian capitalism after the 1929 world crisis was one not of terminal decay, but of restructuring and intensification of exploitation achieved through new forms of management and new corporatist strategies, an expansion of state intervention in the economy and society. In this context, a frontal attack or war of movement was simply suicidal for the left. Gramsci's east-west contrast in this respect is very significant, but it should not be taken as indicating that Gramsci's thought, thought conditions were uniform throughout the east or west. Nothing could be further from the spirit of his work. At most, he identifies certain minimum shared features of advanced capitalist societies. The Italian society in which he operated politically, with its large area, areas of semi-feudal peasant agriculture, its immature parliamentary traditions, and its powerful priesthood possessed characteristics of both East and West, which made it very different from Britain or the United States in his own time, let alone today. The Americanism and Fordism, notes C-section 9, show how closely he attended to these differences within the West. It should be so observed that contrary to what is sometimes asserted, his advocacy of a war of position does not entail a renunciation of revolution, only a change in its strategy and form. His arguments that he advanced cap that that the advanced capitalist societies possess political and ideological resources which make necessary a transition from a war maneuver to a long war of position must be grasped for what it is as an argument that the specific conditions which made it possible a made possible a successful revolution in Russia in 1917 cannot and will be present themselves in the West. The strategy therefore must be different. Um, I'd argue one of the big differences is Russia had the Soviets and actual systems of dual power that were <laughs> easy to utilize. There were, there were latent structures to, to seize upon for, for governance. We'd have to build those up in other yeah, places. Much exactly. like, yeah, much like other revolutions. You or, know, or you take the closest example, like yeah. say a third sovereign that isn't the federal government or state powers and turn them communist. Thus, <laughs> <laughs> only having to rebuild what you're referencing huh i wonder what you're referencing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no one could have we would <laughs> no, do together who there. Knows, who knows? Uh, um, i do think i do think it's good though um just before we get too far since uh he mentioned 1929 and his his notes and the change of the the crisis um and 
you know, uh, this is kind of the argument against accelerationism, right? The Great Depression, you know, World War One ended and socialism grew. World War Two ended and socialism grew. Socialist revolutions happened along the way in the early 20th century before, you know, eventually falling back towards the end of it, unfortunately. <clears throat> um, they did not jump up during the Great Depression. <laughs> no. <laughs> you yeah. know. Well, they were subdued by, you know. Yeah. They were subdued um, by, by reaction. Aristoc- People were desperate, yeah. Well, labor aristocracy spoils, basically, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that there was mass land grabs under the New Deal that then opened up new lands to be exploited. Um, they basically stole, like, the best lands that we had developed. Like, mm-hmm. what little development we were able to accomplish in short amount of time. Like, because my colonization is, like, 30 years before... <laughs> you know the great depression so it's like a very short amount of time and we there were several times we already had to jumpstart our economy since then because we actually have i'm that's like the start of our almost neo-colonial period i guess and the destruction of the original great sioux reservation is the 1890 number yeah and then um or any chances of its political economy still being relevant, you know? And then they had, uh, in this new period on the reservation, we became hemp farmers and then they outlawed hemp and stuff. And, uh, you also had, um, the systemic flooding of our farmlands and, uh, food production areas, uh, through the pick Sloan plan, which created jobs. Sure. But you're talking about, assimilated Indians who gave up land and therefore, you know, the land was stolen immediately once they left the reservation. Um, and this was through paid bribery. Like literally they were like, we'll give you money and we'll set you up. They promised a lot. They only gave you some money and then a bus ticket. And then they're like, ha your land's ours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's, and that's gone on for a long ass fucking time. And like, now it's like, you know, if the population numbers go down, they'll start taking the land again. So it's like literally at any time they want to steal the land, they can reduce the population numbers. But why would you need to when you have a 300% infant mortality rate? You know, why would you need to when you have the largest suicide rates in the entire nation? You know, like we're doing it for you, essentially. Like it's systemic. It sucks. It's really sad, you know, and we just ignore it. You know, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, if you want to talk about dual power, you know, a place that's void of capital that has its own political economy still, you know, <laughs> that's where I would focus. <laughs> so, uh, are we ready to go on? Yeah, I think we're ready to go on. Um, The strategy, therefore, must be different. It must involve the building of hegemony between the working class and its allies. It must involve ideological struggle. It must involve the construction of a mass democratic movement. But this does not add up to an abandonment of the revolutionary goal of socialism and its replacement by a strategy of piecemeal reforms. You know, it's been said again and again. You can't simply lay hold on the ready-made state machinery. 
you know, like when I when I'm talking about building dual power, like the reservation, I'm talking about uprooting the tribal government that's currently there and replacing it with one that's actually aligned with the traditional peoples, not yeah. the U.S. government. Yeah, you know, like that takes some work. You know, <laughs> it's not just hunky dory, but that's my problem. It's not your problem. No, your problem is helping me get there. You know, <laughs> and it's not me. We're helping much greater forces than I that are older and have been around since at least aim, you know, depends on when you want to be a pedantic ass about it. But I'd argue, you know, crazy horse was the first example of this. You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say revolution. Revolution is difficult too. So it yeah, takes yeah. time and, you know, we have to be patient and, and go through the choppy waters. It's not going to be like a, it, it, it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, it's it's not going to just keep going well and then not have a setback where people are going to like, well, you promised us this. You said this was going to go well. How's your revolution going out? Like that, that shit's going to happen. It's right. going to be tough, you know? I know we just keep winning, so I'm, I'm confident in us. <laughs> I'm afraid of the setback. It's going to be huge. But uh, <laughs> the contrast, wait, yeah, the contrast war of movement slash war of position is paralleled by the contrast between state and civil society parentheses on Gramsci's somewhat unstable usage of the word state. See the glossary of key terms and parentheses war of movement is a frontal assault on the state. Whereas war of position is a conduct is conducted mainly on the terrain of civil society. Civil society is a site of constant hegemony direction and conceptual opposition to the state political society, which is a site of coercion, dictatorship, domination. Civil society is therefore in Gramsci at once the political terrain on which the dominant class organizes its hegemony and their terrain on which opposition parties and movements organize, win allies, and build their social power. Gramsci... I just want to make sure people heard that right, too, is the society is built on a side of consent hegemony direction in a in conceptual opposition to the state which is a site of coercion dictatorship and domination so people have to buy in for civil society yeah you can't can't, go up to a trump supporter and be like it's the commonwealth is what i mean and be like (laughs) no that's communism that's actually not that's actually bullshit yeah you 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 have to grow a spine yeah you have to you have to get them to to buy into you or, or they're in opposition. And you also can't go to people at gunpoint, like a state will and say like, we'll throw you in a cage. If you don't follow our rules, you have to get people bought into the revolution or they won't fight for it. Even if you believe it's in their interest and you're probably right. I mean, you're definitely right. Looking at the conditions now, um, you still have to get socialist policies are good for everybody. Universal healthcare. That's a good thing. You know, like these yeah. these are good things that any normal society should want. Mm-hmm. The point is to be a revolutionary society that goes beyond what's just good for the majority. You know, yeah. like it's it's about freeing everybody, you know, like your communism shouldn't stop at dem social demands. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. not even reforms, their demands. demands like, yeah. Because no, the that's demands exactly right. don't even matter, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
the reforms are what they get through and those are half-assed of yeah. the demands yeah you know so we're not they're not asking for a lot these people like like i say these people would lynch me for free health care if if killing indians and collecting scalps again was an option for free health care many 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 trade unionists would take it up guaranteed why why do you think people join the military it, literally <laughs> <laughs> for fucking education and then people excuse it people excuse the murder they did and it's like uh, i don't know how hard up you are but i still would not go murder for a free education thank you i'm gonna learn how to pirate but uh where was i civil society is therefore in gramsci one oh okay Gramsci says that his distinction between state, parentheses, political society, and parentheses, and civil society is not organic, but methodological, parentheses, medotica, and parentheses. Okay, see above page 210. By this, he means that although the two levels must be analytically distinguished from one another, they must also be as be seen as being intertwined in practice. And I try really hard to get settlers to understand this that yeah there's uh, some separation between the state and you but as a settler you're a living flagpole for a settler colonial state that's your role it's your whole job they don't have to take care of you because your job is to die where you are if the indian savages on their borders ever come and raid that's your job to be a meat shield that's how the government views you. That's why you're not treated well. That's why capitalism doesn't value you. That's why they extract from you endlessly. I think we should change that. I, I think nobody should be treated like that. And I think it's fucked up. People think I should assimilate into that. Yeah. Like, that's fucked up. We should not do that and make something better and not force people to go through that like some sort of sadistic ritual you know <laughs> stagism is actually not a thing and you can skip stuff if you want crazy <laughs> also um just because people sometimes struggle with understanding dialectics with specifically you know materialist dialectics versus you know idealists and stuff that last sentence that is a beautiful summation of dialectic relationship and what you just described of the state seeing settlers as meat shields is also another good summation. It's, it's both directly at odds and also inherently intertwined. And the contradiction is neither side of it, but what both intertwines and separates and contra and uh, opposes those sides. Well, right. And all you have to do is stop being a meat shield. You have to fight against the state. You have to fight for decolonization against the settler colonial project that ultimately dehumanizes not only the colonized, but the colonizer, most of all, to paraphrase Rodney. Yeah. Yeah. One might illustrate this by saying that a state education system is at one level clearly part of political society, just as trade unions are when they take part in tri tri tripartite planning with employers and government, but this does not mean that everything which takes place in schools or trade unions is subservient to the state or reflects ruling class interests. By making such a methodological distinction between the two, between the two spheres, Gramsci avoids on 
the one hand, a liberal reductionism, which sees civil society as a realm of free individuality entirely apart from the state. And then on the other, I have the worst hiccups. A status and functionalist reductionism, which sees everything in society as belonging to the state and serving its interest. In Cramsey's own time, the first kind of reductionism was exemplified by the liberal Crochet, the second by the fascist Giovanni Gentile. The later reductionism, however, has been frequent enough on the left as well. One might cite author's notion of ideological state apparatus. <laughs> Who Who's writing this? Sorry, I just think it's funny that they're taking a shot at Althus. This is, uh, what's his name? Fuck, what's his name? Stuart, is this not Stuart, Stuart Hall? Hall? No. no, this is not Stuart Hall. Uh, Quentin Hoare. Okay. <laughs> Bad last name, man. <laughs> So whore said, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you always reduce people to their last name. I can't do that with you. <laughs> the last two notes included here deal with that key element in the political process, the party. Gramsci treats it by an analogy with the Prince of Machiavelli's 16th century treaties as an organism which helps to form and galvanize a national popular collective will. The party must help to perform the Jacobin task, see also section 8, of setting in motion a hegemonic alliance between the proletariat and other social strata, and it must help precipitate a process of intellectual and moral reformation, see also section 11, in order to function in this way. The party cannot be an organization of closed cadres, and it must not degenerate into a bureaucratic apparatus. See fetishism. It must be democratic in its structure and practices if it is so widened out to a whole class, which will tend to unify the whole of humanity. Page 382. Um, I suppose so I can read. because. Okay. I don't think I read last time, right? I'm here uh, for it. I don't think so. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, one, war of position and war of maneuver. On the subject of parallels between the concepts of war of maneuver and war of position in military science and the corresponding concepts in political science, Rosa Luxemburg's pamphlet, Mass Strike, Party and Trade Unions, Translated from French into Italian in 1919 by C. Alessandri, should be recalled. <laughs> when was this written? He, is he saying it should be like returned, or is he saying we should remember it? No, like we, I mean, he's saying we should remember it, but I'm just like, if he's writing this shit in prison, like, is he just like. He remembers the fucking translator's name too. God damn it! Right, right. Like nineteen thirty-one. He's like twelve years ago. Or, you know, I read this. I heard you laughing, and I was like, I don't get the joke. I'm just in awe. No, it's just not even the author, just the translator that he could remember. Anyway, um, in this pamphlet, Rosa, a little hastily and rather superficially too. <laughs> theorized the historical experiences of 1905. In fact, 
She, in fact, disregarded the voluntary and and organizational elements, which were far more extensive and important than in those events then, thanks to certain economistic and spontaneous prejudice, she tended to believe. All the same, this pamphlet, parentheses, with others of the same author's essays, and parentheses, is one of the most significant documents theorizing the war of maneuver applied to political science. The immediate economic element, crises, etc., is seen as the field of artillery, which in war opens a breach in the enemy's defenses, a breach sufficient for one's own troops to rush in and obtain a definitive strategic victory, definitive, i.e., strategic victory, or at least an important victory in the context of the strategic line. Naturally, the effects of immediate economic factors in historical science are held to be far more complex than the, than the effects of heavy artillery in a war of maneuver, since they are conceived of as having a double effect. One, they breach the enemy's defenses after throwing him into disarray and causing him to lose faith in himself, his forces, and his future. Two, in a flash, they organize one's own troops and create the necessary cadres, or at least in a flash, they put the existing cadres, parentheses, formed until that moment by the general historical processes, and parentheses, put the existing cadres in positions which enabled them to encadre one's scattered forces. Um, so like turns, turn your scattered forces into an organized unit. Uh, three, in a flash, they bring about the necessary ideological concentration on the common objective to be achieved. This view was a form of iron economic determinism with the aggravating factor that it was conceived of as operating with lightning speed in time and in space. It was thus out-and-out historical mysticism, the awaiting of a sort of miraculous illumination. He's really going for 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 his regular. Yeah, and I feel like this is not something I haven't seen before. It reminds me a lot of Lenin writing about Rosa. It was basically like, her writings half suck, tear all this shit up. This this ruins the whole thing. By the way, she's an amer- amazing revolutionary and we love her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting at least the first half of Gramsci here. I'm assuming the second half will probably be the same of that, that notion. We're going to see Gramsci just eviscerate everyone he comes into contact. Like, this is how <laughs> he's really fucking petty. Um, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. Exactly. Fuck you. <laughs> General Krasnov asserted in his novel that the Entente did not wish for the victory of Imperial Russia for fear that the Eastern question would definitively would be definitively resolved in favor of Tsarism, and therefore obliged the Russian general staff to adopt trench warfare, absurd in view of the enormous length of the front from the Baltic to the Black Sea with vast marshy and forest zones. Um, so to, to essentially that makes sense, right? That trench yeah, warfare. Yeah, like the, the terrain was not, trench warfare made no damn sense for Russia to fight with. What the hell yeah. is wrong with and that? <laughs> they did not really use trench warfare to the same extent that the, happened on the Western Front. Um, 
whereas the only possible strategy was a war of maneuver. This assertion is merely silly. In actual fact, the Russian army did attempt a war of maneuver, and sudden and sudden incursion, especially in the Austrian sector, but also in East Prussia, and won successes which were as brilliant as they were ephemeral. The truth is that one cannot choose the war, the form of war one wants, unless from the start one has a crushing superiority over the enemy. It is well known what losses were caused by the stubborn refusal of the general staffs to, to recognize that a war of position was imposed by the overall relation of forces in the conflict. A war of position is not, in reality, constituted simply by the actual trenches, but by the whole organizational and industrial system of the territory which lies in the, to the rear of the army in the field. It is imposed notably by the rapid-fire power of cannons, machine guns, rifles, by the armed strength which can be concentrated at a particular spot, as well as by the abundance of supplies which can make which make possible the swift replacement of material lost after an enemy breakthrough or a retreat. A further factor is the great ma- is yeah is the great mass of men under arms. They are of very unequal caliber and are precisely only able to operate as a mass force. It can be seen how on the Eastern Front it was one thing to make an incursion in the Austrian sector and quite another in the German sector, and how even in the Austrian sector, reinforced by picked German troops and commanded by Germans, incursion tactics ended in disaster. The same thing occurred in the Polish campaign of 1920, and the seemingly irresistible advance was halted before Warsaw by General Weygand, on the line commanded by French officers. Even those military experts whose minds are now fixed on the war of position, just as they were previously on that of maneuver, naturally do not mind that the latter should be considered as expunged for military science. They merely maintain that in wars among the more industrially and socially advanced states, the war of maneuver must be considered as reduced to more of a tactical than strategic function, that it must be considered as occupying the same position as siege warfare used to occupy previously in relation to it. So that's, you know, very clearly like, we don't need to pretend that the Russians were just totally incompetent and losing the war and everything just went fine at home because of a, a, a war of maneuver. Um, as long as we're looking at these Western countries and, and understanding our positions, right? We need to, to um, fight a war of position and we need to have a war of maneuver available. Like we're not like, oh my God, we're a nonviolent movement, but it's not even a broad strategy. It is a tactic be used at specific times. Yeah. The same reduction must take place in the art and science of politics, at least in the case of the most advanced states where civil society has become a very complex structure and one which is resistant to the catastrophic incursions of the immediate economic element, crises, depressions, etc. I think if you showed Gramsci what the fuck civil society has become today, he would have an aneurysm. Just knowing how how uh, 
uh, complex of a structure it is. You're telling me Gramsci would not have TikTok dances. Oh, God. Him, Gramsci is going to freaking dab on you, Prez. Resurrecting Gramsci to tell him that like 45% of like teenagers get their news exclusively from TikTok to have him like die of a stroke immediately. Um, the superstructures of civil society are like the trench warfare are like the trench systems of modern warfare. In war, it would sometimes happen that a fierce mili- fierce artillery attack seemed to have destroyed the enemy's entire defensive system, whereas in fact it had only destroyed the outer perimeter. And at the moment of their advance and attack, the assailants would find themselves confronted by a line of defense which was still effective. The same thing happens in politics. During great economic crises, the same thing happens in politics during great economic crises. They put a comma in randomly when it should not go, and it fucks up my uh, reading. Um, A crisis cannot give the attacking forces the Worse than Verso. I know. The, The quality in Verso just got even fucking worse. Um... To be fair, they got sued the fuck to oblivion. Did they? Oh, yeah, it was a huge thing. Oh, I didn't even know that. Anyway. um, Well, that's why Nick uh, didn't publish the Red Deal with them and stuff. (laughs) Because he's planning on building relationships with another publisher to carry uh, his AIM work that could be controversial enough to get someone sued, I guess. I don't know. Oops. Um, the same thing happens in politics during great economic crises. A crisis cannot give the attacking forces the ability to organize with lightning speed in time and in space. Still less can it endow them with fighting spirit. Similarly, the defenders are not demoralized, nor do they abandon their positions even among the ruins, nor do they lose faith in their own strength or their own future. Of course, things do not remain exactly as they were, but it is certain that one will not find the element of speed, of accelerated time, of the definitive forward march expected by the strategists of political Cadornism. Uh, I don't know what the fuck Cadornism is. I don't know what the fuck Cadornism is, but everything up to Cadornism there is like frame this shit and beat people over the head with it. Because Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, first off, there's some shut up and let the book read because holy hell, that hit accelerationism like right on the nub um, when I was making the point about 1929. So we love shut up and let the book read. Um, second, <laughs> that's it's an important message as people start caring about unipolar versus multipolar stuff, right? Or people start seeing like this is the end of the U.S. empire because – the U S empire is going eventually to start to weaken. It was going to happen no matter who the enemies are, because you're just running out of earth to occupy. Uh, but also with the rise of uh, some of the movements against like the petrodollar, against, you know, Western occupation of Africa, uh, the turn um, the global South is having uh, harder against the West with the genocide in Palestine, uh, things like that, like a multipolar world, which is becoming very, very real, very, very quickly. Uh, is not some like great pathway to radicalize people for the revolution, right? It's it's simply 
to go with Gramsci's, you know, um, analogy here, it's simply trench warfare with the first line of trenches defeated, right? You can't get to the back without that, but that's not, that's not a great victory. You're not, you're not in for a much better time. I just looked up what Cadornism is and there's no such thing as Cadornism as like a strategy because Gramsci was calling it after a guy named Luigi Cadorna. And he was the main military strategist for Italy during World War One, and he fucking sucked. I was gonna say, not a good track record on that one. Yeah, he he was apparently just like saying, "Okay, we're gonna do this, and it's gonna work. And if it doesn't, it's gonna work." Uh, <laughs> Though that was most World War One strategists. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. don't do that. Oh, but it's nice that Gramsci named his totally failed strategy to, to line up with, you know, essentially accelerationism. That's good. <laughs> the last occurrence of the kind in the history of politics was the events of 1917, end of history, part one. They marked a decisive turning point in the history of the art and science of politics. Hence Damn, history the- already ended <laughs> twice? <laughs> That's crazy. How many times did history end in the 20th century? I God, <laughs> eighty years apart. <laughs> Y'all do like review each other's work. World War One. Then history ended with the 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 Soviet Revolution. Then it ended again in World War Two, and then again with the Chinese Revolution. <laughs> uh, hence, it is a question of studying in depth which elements of civil society correspond to the defensive systems in a war of position. The use of the phrase in depth is intentional because 1917 has been studied, but only either from superficial and banal points of view, (laughs) uh, as when certain social historians study the vagarities of women's fashion or from a rationalistic viewpoint in other words, with the conviction that certain phenomena are destroyed as soon as they are realistically explained, as if they were popular superstitions, which are anyway not destroyed either mere, merely by being explained. Oh, I like that little addition Ooh. from Gramsci. What's that? What are you into that, Gramsci? What the fuck? <laughs> Just going after all of his all of the study of history. No, I just like which anyway are not destroyed either by merely by explaining them. It's like, oh, who, who are you dissing on? Who's fucking holding on to super? Yeah, that's targeted at somebody. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just ta- targeting feels anyone. Personal. Like, it feels all personal. academic. I bet academic you he lost studies. a poker game that night. I do. <laughs> uh, to I do the guy that. who was superstitious, he kept winning. You know, he's like, motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that the the in depth. I, I love um, the jab at academics with with the phrase in depth being intentional, uh, because and, and I like he says study, but only either from a superficial or banal viewpoint. When cert- certain social historians, very specific ones, uh, you know, <clears throat> ruling class, um, study the vagarities of, and it's like all the rationalistic views. It's like, oh yeah, you know, we can look back in time and get this right, but you still have your own fucking biases, asshole. And you're using, oh, I was going to say, and you're stripping out like class and and things like that for your analysis too. And it's just like saying that this thing was won because, I don't know, this thing happened on this day. That's not how it works. 
That no, that's that's how it works. It is cause and effect. That's why all of the universe, everything, everything has a cause and effect. Black and white, black and white cause. Don't you know World War Two ended because the atomic bomb was dropped? That's cause and effect. That's how that works. That's cause and effect. That's how it works. The question of the meager success achieved by new tendencies in the trade union movement should be related to this series of problems. One attempt to begin a revision of the current tactical methods was perhaps outlined by L. Dave Burr Trotsky at the <laughs> and the Wait, what? Uh, Is this saying that's a pseudonym of Trotsky's or that Trotsky cited this L. Dave Br? What? Hmm? What's Trotsky's like full? Leon. <laughs> Leon's the first. Leon David. His, name, his full name is Lev Davidovich Bronstein. Oh my so, God. That's oh, so it's Trotsky's like pseudonym, essentially just using everything but his last name. His real name. Yeah. Or his real name. His real name. That's right, because Trotsky was chosen just like Stalin and Lenin. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And because he was writing in prison, he had to use like all of this shit that the guard, like no, no prison guard is going to be reading his notebooks going like, oh, L. Dave Bronstein is definitely Trotsky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fucking genius. And then he abbreviates it. So it's like, yeah, yeah. So I have to figure out what the L. Dave BR is. That's great. Yeah. So then there's an editor to note that this means Trotsky. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> One attempt to begin. We're detectives. Just saying. One attempt to begin a revision of the current tactical methods was perhaps that outline of the current tactical methods was perhaps that outlined. That's not written correctly. Uh, That out was that was outlined by Trotsky at the fourth meeting when he made a comparison between eastern and western fronts. The former had fallen at once, but unprecedented struggles had then ensued. In the case of the latter, the struggles would take place beforehand. The question, therefore, was whether civil society resists before or after the attempt to seize power, where the latter takes place, etc. However, the question was outlined only in a brilliant literary form without directives of a practical character. So saying, hey, Trotsky had good analysis, but he didn't draw any fucking conclusions. Common Trotsky. <laughs> common, common Trotsky error. Common, nah, common Trotsky lie. error. So thank you all for listening. We're going to stop there. It's a perfect time to stop. And, uh, you know, we're Mark's Madness, part of the Chunkalutin Network. If you don't know what the Chunkalutin Network is, huh, there's a whole podcast that you can go check out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should release the first episode on this one too. This uh what's it called? Feed? I don't know. Are, yeah, I, feed. I, yeah. Feed. There we go. Yeah. I mean that that probably wouldn't be bad. Industry terms. Yeah. But anyway, you know, otherwise it's just, you know, it's just hop and a skip away. It's worth it. We we have the second episode. I just have to ep- upload the third episode to Patreon first, and then uh, we're going to do a release on the 20th for sure every month of a uniquely Chunkaluta podcast. And then we're going to upload side stuff along the way. Um, you know, 
as time allows, but we're guaranteeing 12 episodes. That's what you get early. <laughs> and then you'll also get other stuff early if, it, if it's coming out. So, you know, support the Patreon. Our goal is $2,000 a month, and that's to start handing out $500 stipends to organizers and um, paying people for their labor, organizing the larger cadre, basically. Um, so that way they survive. It's easier for them to survive. We all usually work a second job on top of it. I'm work, I'm trying to get a third job. Um, so <laughs> normally I shovel snow and there's no snow this year. So it sucks. <laughs> my, I don't know what to do with my life. But, you should you know. make snow and then like do some kind of mob thing where you threaten to put snow on people's driveway. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's a great idea. Would hate for something to uh to happen to your driveway. I'm gonna go to the ski hill. All right. <laughs> but yeah, no, like straight up, we had like a we had to cancel a, a some big old snowmobile tournament thing i don't know maybe it was a race but it was like this huge fucking deal like people paid like a year in advance for all this shit and like had to cancel it because there's no snow last year there was like seven feet you know (laughs) it's fucking crazy shit going on outside that's for sure i have rain right now instead of snow the northeast is getting fucking my weather and then fucking Los Angeles is flooded, which is like, oh wow, drought for so long, and now you guys just get fucking. To hammered. be fair, it's kind of LA's fault because they LA is like a marshland by nature. And well, like yeah, settlers shouldn't have settled. If, you know, what if we took all of this marshland and replaced all of the marshes and the rivers with concrete rivers and concrete? Well, right. It used to be like floating cities and shit. Yeah. Now it's that. I don't. I don't know if you've all have ever been. It sucks. It really sucks. I'm not like a fan the, of that those like concrete river viaduct things that we see in the movies and stuff that used to. Or that you run in, in San Andreas, Grand Theft Auto. Duh. Or that. Or that the uh, you know specific movie they drove down a Terminator too. Yeah, lots of movies, <laughs> all that stuff. Those those are literal rivers that they were just instead of having a riverbed there, let's just make it concrete, and that's huh? not good. Turns out, bad for the environment, not good. Um, currently, we're raising money to help. I mean, this is probably not going to matter by the time it comes out. I would hope, but we're raising money to help. Um, people on porcupine because a local program that people use to pay for food, clothes and other necessities um, as well as it gets provided for them. Some of the stuff like, I don't know, it's called general aid, but anyway, uh, it ran out of funding. Um, Same thing happened around November. Um, So it's just, uh, it's hard out there, you know, (laughs) shouldn't need to be said. Um, But like I mentioned, you know, like, uh, a 300% infant mortality rate, a 50-year life expectancy. It's a uh, drastic circumstances, needless to say. So these $500 stipends are going to go to people living out there who are organizing, uh, you know, I mean, some in other areas. So we're planning on, you know, supporting some of our friends 
across the ocean who, you know, might not get as much uh, support from their settler accomplices as we do. Um, we seem to be pretty good at galvanizing people. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's a worthwhile cause. I recommend checking it out. You can find it all on our link tree. And if you want to complain about the podcast or, you know, maybe you want to talk to us very nicely. MarksMadnessPod at gmail.com, fans of Turtle Island at gmail.com, or um, Trunkaluta Network at gmail.com, uh, or Proton.me uh, if you want to get a hold of us and complain. Otherwise, there's Marks at MarksMadnessPod, then there's at Chunkaluta org, uh, and then at MarksyMarks2 on Twitter to yell at Prez. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Instagram is probably the cooler place to be. You get to see photo updates pretty quickly. You know, I don't know. I think that's all my updates. All right. Um, so unless you have anything, Prez. I got nothing. All right. Then this has been Mark's Bandit's Pod, part of Chunk Lucha Network. We read books. My name's David. I'm Prez. You're, You're muted. muted. Yeah, no, I switched off the screen for one second. <laughs> and <it was> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure Bonnie too. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.